0: join me in Disgraceland. Available right now, wherever you get your podcasts. rock
1: Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. And this is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we We drew the map. So what we're going to talk about today, um, I think your fourth album with the Banshees. Well, no, it was the fourth album of the Banshees, but it was your second album, right? Ah,
2: yes. Is it Juju? first album was Kaleidoscope. Right. That would be
1: 1980, I think, seventy nine, eighty, Right. Yes. And that's what we're talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Juju, fourth Banshee's album. The de- dictionary definition of Juju is an object venerated superstitiously and used as a fetish or amulet by tribal peoples of West Africa. Mm-hmm. Two, the magical power attributed to such an object, a ban or interdiction affected by it so a juju involves some sinister scary goings-on but there's something compulsive and strangely sexy and it's undertow as cole Porter might have phrased it let me live beneath your spell do do that voodoo that you do so well Ooh, voodoo yeah there's, so there's uh, a track
2: on, track on the album
1: yes right it's the uh, i was listening to it yesterday that you know reacquaint myself with it and uh, for me, several things pop out straight away. You're playing and, uh, John McGiick's playing it's, that's the whole album for me, Wow, that, that is everything in there because you have a lot of very high, uh, pitched drums that sound almost jazzy to me, mm. you know? And there's a couple of songs, Night Shift, which I love, right? It's, mm. it, it's like, you've got that ride symbol going in the background and it's like it hangs over like this big shimmer and it's like it's very scary you know drums are not often scary but that's that's scary that's shiver up my spine and magiak is the first time somebody who who is like such a a creative guitar player i mean or just the way he plays i mean there's some there's some stuff Mm. on there that's just mind-blowing you know i listen to it again i think wow it's great so that that's a step up for everybody, you know. Yeah. So tell me about the start of it all. Like, Q.
2: that's a wonderful introduction to huh. to pro- probably. It's very it's very difficult to be asked. Usually the question is, "What's your favorite? Yeah, which yeah.
1: album. Which is the best? What's your favorite album? And what's your favorite track and why? Yeah, yeah.
2: And yeah. The, and the 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 kind of stock answer is, of course, it has to be. Well, they were all good in their own way. But if I really am pushed, then I, uh, with all due respect to John Klein and Martin McCarrick, who served the longest time and served us through many, many changes of direction. Yeah. I think Juju was, for me anyway, maybe it's because of a kind of coming of coming of age. Right. Um, finding an identity as a, as a musician in a band. Yeah. Finding a band and feeling a part of a, a group of people. Right. And you very correctly say, John McGeoch and myself, um, we didn't have many conversations, not really, but we had a lot of musical conversations.
1: It, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's what I, I hear about it. If, if I hear any of those songs on that, like like you know the, the 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 previous um kaleidoscope i can see like the genesis of things starting you know because it's like 50% you know a, a, a the band had left mm. and then there's you in there and it's like okay it's like the, the start of it but i think i really feel like juju is kind of in this. it's this it's not the same kind of album but it occupies the same space for me as as the cure's pornography, because that was our fourth album as well, mm. and it was uh, like the the time where we had got all of our uh, for want of a better word tools or or you know signature bits yeah. and crafted them into something much bigger and and this sounds to me like the first time that you know you guys had got that together and and made it it's a real banshee's album i'm thinking
2: know? in fact we were recording in the old camp, not old cat road it was somewhere where they had jelly deals and pie and mash <laughs> yeah it was right. called the it was called i think it was called the fire station uh yeah it was something to do with manfred Mann. it was an old studio anyway and we were recording a track called fireworks right and fireworks i think was pre-dream house post juju right and um but we we'd um we, fireworks was a standalone single we record. We were recording it and we came to see you and you guys were doing pornography up at Rack yes that would be it <clears throat> and, Yeah, that was a time so we came we travelled as a band to come and see you as a band wow okay it was like yeah, I remember that <clears throat> let's go and see The Cure like in yeah. the studio recording their next album I mean how many people right. get to say that you know <laughs> no, <it's> not many <laughs> you know let's go and yeah. see The Cure why were they playing you know
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we were, we were, we were ensconced in rack. Um, yeah, going, yeah, making big, big noises and big, big sounds. Yeah, I remember that. We'd come because you always had a good bar as well, you know. Well, we did. We had a little uh, arrangement with the the off license, with the liquor store across the the way, and we said if we go in and just point to things, uh, you will send your young son. The owner's young son, with with a large box with what we would want to drink that evening, and then we'll settle up with you at the end of the month. You know.
2: Yes, which, had lots of and lots of um, blackcurrant juice in it. I I, rem- I
1: recall. Yeah, yeah, that was well. Robert at one point decided he was going to do this thing called the the Guinness blacklist, which involved pints of Guinness mixed with other things, and blackcurrant was one of them. I, so I think it sort of came that. From, from that. Yeah. yeah,
2: but we digress.
1: Yeah, we digress. Um, As
2: usual. Let's jump on one track. You mentioned Night Shift. If I had to pick one song from the Banshee's catalogue,
1: that would be it. Yeah. It's very memorable. And, you know, it it has an immensely crazy chorus as well, which, you know, if you go to sleep thinking about that, it it messes with your head big time. So the lyrics are great. Susie's quote hear
2: about the lyric it's um, she says night shift was based on a true life murderer mm. and it was because it was um the Orkshire Ripper
1: Peter Sutcliffe right, Sur- oh, yep, right yep, yes, yep, Sutcliffe. yeah Sutcliffe
2: and she'd been talking to a journalist who was investigating and they'd got some inside information that wasn't right out to the general public and at least while he was a gravedigger, and he wanted to work the night shift because he was ah into um yeah messing about right
1: right oh dear me and wow. um, that's made it that's made it even more gruesome for me to gruesome. think about now. but to yeah. do
2: i mean there are several things going on um again as um, Severin quotes again in his quote on the re-release looking back we had i think we played like one show early 81 and we were playing in disguise as a warm-up to playing the futurama festival in leeds okay but what we seem to be doing i don't think we are on tour as much but we're playing lots of little shows where we were like playing these songs live
1: yeah that's what i i heard because i i a lot of times uh when you're in a band that's like becoming you know a working band and successful you you, you do your first album because you've you've got all that material and and you've played it for a few years perhaps. Mm. And you record that and then you're playing catch up all the time because you know, you're on the road and no matter what anybody tells you being on the road, is not a good place to write new songs. You know, it might be a good place to demo them, but not write new ones. So you're always trying to play catch up and you end up like we did. We got to like faith and we wrote most of faith in the studio because we had no time to do it anywhere else you know so it becomes difficult but occasionally you get to a point where you've you've got the songs you've kind of rehearsed them a bit and then you go and play them live and they change a lot live did you find that uh the songs from juju changed a lot after you'd played them live a few times
2: well, well the thing must we play them live before we recorded them
1: right so i mean before you actually got to the studio did you work out like oh okay that bit would be really great if it was more of this or something you know
2: it's hard to remember like things like into the light we'd have ideas for it um
1: that's another great song by the way that that's that's like the second track yeah. on the album right that that just blows my mind it, it
2: was a we were definitely experimenting with i mean miguel was playing around with this gu- guitar gizmo that he'd found at the studio so like that, right. that kind of bowing of guitar sound is actually little cogwheels yeah. and stuff yeah,
1: he's but, sort of out yes is yes on that uh, that track, which I like. Because yeah, I, I, he,
2: well, I, I, I kind of out Octopus, um, <laughs> 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 the guy from the Muppets. Yeah. What's his name? Animal. <laughs> Animal, yes, I could to forget him. Yeah. There's some favorite stuff on there, um, Voodoo Dolly that closes the album. Um, yeah. It's a kind of precursor to, well, the track that didn't make it onto Juju, um, but not them. In many ways, it's very much a drum-based right. mood. Um, but Night Shift always like John Mayer's guitar and Night Shift always makes me think of like probably I mean you know only from World War Two films and there's that yeah. kind of like a siren that kind of comes on the war the war siren the sound of yeah. the approaching bombers. Yeah. And his guitar always sounds like like an antique sound, like as if it's being wound up.
1: Yeah. It has a mechanical kind of it, quality to yeah, it. Yeah. Like yes. as if
2: it's hand cranked. And the drums and that cy- cymbal sound, they're almost yeah. a composite. It's not separate entities. It's just one big simmering, sizzling jugger- yeah. juggernaut of a sound, not heavy. And I think nah. you were saying, did the songs change much after? I mean, Night Shift was a key part of our set for many
1: years after the album was released. Yeah, I remember you playing it. But I I always liked, you know, it's like, hmm, now now I'm going to get very drummerly for So, you know, the people who don't want to hear drum stuff, you know, you can go make a cup of tea or something. Um, In the punk revolution, you know, the ride symbol for drummers was, you know, apart from, no, actually, I think he probably played it all on the crash. Uh, the ride cymbal didn't feature very strongly because it was not really a, a sort of. It's more of a jazz kind of instrument, you know. And I love the way that you introduced the ride cymbal back into the the lexicon of drumming because, yeah, you know, I try to do it by bringing the splashing that nobody was yeah. doing before, you know. But a lot of punk stuff, punk drumming was like. Very heavy on the snare, blah, 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 and lots of crashes, left, right, and center. And
2: lots of hi hats. <coughs> lots of hi <hi-hat. coughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, doing those impossible, impossibly fast hi-hats.
1: The the ride cymbal was seen as a bit of, you know, well, that, that's a bit Louis Belson, that's a bit old jazzy. You know Louis he-
2: Belson was a, a huge influence. There you go.
1: Not there his you style. Go. So you, you
2: channeled him. Yeah, not his jazz, not his style of drumming. I didn't have his chops, but the sound. Yeah. The sound he made. So the, sound,
1: the sound is great because what that symbol, and bear in mind, dear listener, it's one piece of metal. It's one piece of metal and some wood playing it. <laughs> and the man behind it playing it lifts that whole track. Without that track, without that in the track, there is no night shift. It's like, you know, it would just be, an, a, it wouldn't be like that. It just, that gives it its menace and it's...
2: Uh, so that now you know no, what, what drummers do in kitchens at parties. We just yeah. go without your symbol;
1: it be nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And unlike guitarists, we let each other know the secrets of how we do things. We do, you know. We do. Guitarists sort of hide all that stuff. You know, they're like, oh uh, no, I didn't use that pedal on it. I used um, a special, a special pedal, specially made for me."
2: I tell you, if we carry on in the drum track, um, <laughs> the bass drum is also a key figure. Oh, and yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's got a little
1: skip. Yeah, there's no, oh.
2: there's no single bass drum, except on the stops and on the the big, the big back in again. Um, yeah, on the fuck, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. might yeah. as well because it's yeah. and that bass drum, bum 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 yeah. came. I imagine it came from Mister Bonham from. Yeah, it sounds a bit gut, bud, bum. Gap, bud, yeah. bud, So I didn't put the th- second part of when the levee breaks in. Right. So we just, like bud, gap, bud, gap, yeah. bud, But it's no gap, it's not a snare drum, it was a tom. So it's, no. bud, Right. boom,
1: bud, boom,
2: with the ride cymbal. Yeah. So the whole thing is like bass drum, tom, and ride cymbal, like going, shh, yeah. like a big cauldron.
1: Yeah, that's what it is, really. It's a cauldron, and it's swirling round and round all the time. And it creates the thing which... Yeah, all the reviews that I've read, you know, I've been doing my due diligence on it. They all they all find that the whole of um, the album, you know, sinister and sexy, which is probably true. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it feels like, but it's more tension than anything. You know, a lot of people would say, well, that's like, the Banshees, you know, and I am doing the uh, air quotes here, which you can't see, ladies and gentlemen. But they're nice; um, they're good ones. Yeah, <laughs> the, you know, that's the the Banshees goth album. In the same way as pornography was, uh, you know, the Cure's goth album. And so I read, I am going to paraphrase Susie. She, she said, "You know, that's kind of uh, wrong because it's like it's not Hammer horror; it's more, you know, it's got more tension in it than that." And that's what I noticed through the whole album. It's like it, it, it's it got a lot of tension. It's a, a lot of things hidden behind the door that you think, oh my God, if I turn my back, something will come out from behind that door. And so it's not, it's not goth. It's like the, like I always like to say about pornography. It's like the the, the ground, the fertile ground, that maybe somebody would take one or two little pieces of it and make that their whole thing. But it's much it's more multifaceted. You've than, actually coined
2: two two quotes. One from John McGeeock, who uh-huh. in, in some interview is a lovely line. He said, um, yeah. "We were more Hitchcockian, uh, yeah. blo- blood dripping on a daisy, than putting yes. putting fangs into something." Yeah, no, Alfred, I read that one, really Al- Alfred it's Hitchcock, great. and then Susie, like right at the end of the, this uh, little. Quote here from her, she was talking about the bands that came along afterwards, and she said there was no sense, no sense of tension in their music. She's what you just said, right?
1: And that's the whole thing. It's like music becomes, uh, there's that word again, visceral, but it becomes very much a part of your psyche if you have that emotional tension and that push and pull. You know, it's not one dimensional, and I'm sure. A lot of people listen to music in the way that I would listen to it. Is that you know when you hear a song that you like and you know that has that tension, in, it, you're always waiting for that part to drop down. It's it's like there's a couple of bits in nearly every one of the songs on that album where where there's a, a change or mm. some kind of twist that that you know really puts everything into perspective. Right right there. So what I'm wondering is what was it like? To record it. It was in
2: Nigel Gray's studio where we'd done the yeah. Kaleidoscope and where Nigel was doing having great success with the police. Right. Um, he was totally at home, though. We felt at home, though. It was a very, one big room. So we were all in the same room recording. Right. That's a good point.
1: That's a really good point. There was
2: yeah. no separation. So we would quite, and you can hear it probably best on the track uh, monitor. Yeah. And Monitor was very much a, a live jam in the studio. Right. I think the had his detuned E-string down to a low D. Going bow, bow, yeah. Bow, like very John Lennon yeah. on Helter Skelter. It's that right. Wow, right. wow, wow, wow. Which also we had on Coal Mine on the B-side of Fireworks, which is where we came to see you. But that's another story. <laughs> but um, it really is that song, if I remember, we may have run through it a few times but Susie was singing at one behind a screen, but you probably hear her, her voice bleeding through onto the onto the backing track. She may well right. have, have redone the vocal. Um, it felt like a band playing. That's what it was, like a live session.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think in a way that's kind of similar to the way we did pornography, because there would be three of us in that big room at Rack, and we took out all the baffles so that we get this big, huge sort of, drum sound and so i would go in there with simon and robert playing like the rhythm section of the guitar bit and we would just bash through the songs that way as well and that gives you that gives you a kind of timing and attention that you know you can't manufacture that because there's a little push and pull inside the track all the time that gives it its strength and uh yeah no i I can see how that would work very much with the Yours. And by this time you had all played together for quite a while now right yes yeah. that, that we'd been right. in
2: that in that you know the, that four piece uh format we'd been uh we'd toured all of kaleidoscope that way wow getting new ideas straight away because it was all happening quickly and got into the studio as a four piece band and I think like I remember intensely rehearsing spellbound Arabian nights What else did we really rehearse? into the light halloween was yeah. a, a live song definitely grew out of live again that big ride symbol's with felt beaters so i was using felt beaters on halloween and voodoo dolly they were kind of also becoming a sound and you can't really that swell on a cymbal with guitar twinkling away behind it yeah and then the bass coming in that kind of hits the bah, 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 you know and nothing. The song doesn't take off until the drums come off the cymbal, and right. And when we crash yes. into the beat, that's when the guitar picks up on the where well, the snare yeah, drum and that's would
1: be. Crazy guitar there. Yeah. I mean that's it's amazing. Uh,
2: and it's it's all it's it's all a feel. It couldn't. It's very difficult yeah. to achieve that individually. You know, everybody yeah. going and doing their part.
1: Yeah, which 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 is really its strength. You know, like for me. Um, it's a much more coherent album than the one before. Mm. You know, not to say the other one's incoherent. It's not a drunk album, the other one, but it's like it's like lots of different style things going on there. And and this one, it's like I know each track fits with this album. You know, it's like a coherent story, you know, narrative that's going on there.
2: Yeah, Kaleidoscope was a, like a like a jigsaw puzzle, you know. Right, were, right. The bits were coming in from all over, and we kind of, well, this one fits. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It was a lot of Susie and Severin writing together for the first time yeah. as a two-piece. And right. then intruders coming in, <laughs> invited guests, some may say.
1: Yeah, well, they, they, I, I suppose up until that point, it had been the four of them doing this the thing, so it was very different dynamic but i suppose but then by the time you get to juju you're comfortable with each other you've got you know you've got an ability to go oh this would be a good idea that maybe we could do or you know because like everybody comes into a band at first and thinks oh well i know this idea and let me put this in and then they think after about a year they figure out oh no they would never like that Mm -hmm. or it wouldn't work or whatever now you've got the ideas you know what to do. You know what to present to each other. Yeah,
2: yeah, and that's what juju is. It's the first time this these four people get into the studio as a band. Yeah, even though the band has already achieved one, two, three albums.
1: Yeah, and if I if I may be so bold as as to make an assertion here, uh, it, it's not a unique assertion because a lot of people think the same thing. But to me. That particular version of of the banshees is the banshees to me. You know, it's like it's you, it's McGee, Severin, Sue. So that's it. That that's the best version of what I think banshees are. Yeah,
2: it's it's a hard one to beat. We did try, and we did we did many different permutations. Yeah. I think we we took the band somewhere else. Yeah, uh, but I, I don't think we were the, the sound of a, a generation, uh, whatever. I just think I look at us on the pictures on the the inner sleeve, yeah. and as it says, Mark Patras was writing saying that you know, if you look, Susie's got like Mary Quant white lipstick on, yeah, yeah. Um, Severin's wearing rosary beads, Susie's wearing Indian. Um, dancing bells on her wrists rather than on her right. ankles. Right, I've just got a sweatband and a t-shirt on, which looks like yeah. I've d- just come off, about to go on stage. And John's looking very dapper and smart with a sort of yeah. yeah. I can it, it's I can sense that we're comfortable with each other. There was no like yeah. you've got to wear this, you've got to wear that, so we right. look like real. a band.
1: Yeah, it's real. It's a real look, you know. And that's that's. I don't care what anybody says people can sense whether what you're doing is authentic or not. And that's the first sort of time I felt that, that it's completely authentic, you know, yep. not that it was inauthentic before, no. but you know what I mean? It's well, like it, 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 you've, you've got it all there together. Chemistry.
2: Yeah. There's an interesting thing. If I think back every day going to down to Surrey sound studios, it, right. Every day felt like a sunny morning.
1: <laughs> That's the abiding right. memory. It is
2: right. it, it, I don't know. Was it done in the spring of eighty one? I I don't. Yeah, know. Yeah, I was going
1: to ask you what time of year was it? Was it was it, was it sunny or was it you know, usual miserable rainy horrible old England? I yeah. don't recall it
2: being miserable and rainy. I remember remember we actually arrived early, started early. Studio door mm. was sometimes open, and that could have been kaleidoscope because it was the same studio. Mm-hmm. But it certainly wasn't a, like a closed basement studio with
1: brown walls and all oh, right and shag carpet. Yeah. No,
2: I, and we were in the studio all day, and we—I just remember—we it wasn't a long time in the studio. It, right. it felt like a—it was like a live a, recorded album live. Yeah.
1: Well, you had rehearsed all of those because they played them on the on the road. So yeah, yeah. But it's like you don't have to stop every soft so and go. No, you play the D after that fourth <laughs> bar, and, and then uh, then Budgie does the triplets on the I. I don't. There was
2: there was no music scores. There's no no there was no written map anywhere. I just we nah. just we just knew the songs. We we yeah. played them. Great. Um, so I suppose it really is just a matter of getting the performance right, catching capturing the the mood and the essence of it. So you know night shift was a hard one because of that abrupt stop.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Because because you can't count it
1: because no. you, you just got to feel it. Yeah. How many times did you have to feel it before you got it right?
2: Even the one that's on the album is like you can feel it somehow only just making it. And yeah. There are many moments live where the audience would count well, go big God. We'd almost we'd almost hold it back, so we'd, not to have them counters in. Yeah, so, <laughs> I'm sorry, We're going to do one more beat. No, did, did anybody
1: come up to you after that? You know, live we go. Oh, you, play, I liked it all, but you played that one wrong.
2: Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You are too slow. Yeah. We were in time. You were not. Yeah, we, we were in time.
1: You were not. I've, I've had people say that. So we, like, have, you know, we have we gr- have
2: group precedence <laughs> over when we come back in. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're kind of skirting the
2: fact that you know, like Susie had "fuck" in the chorus. It was just, yeah, you know. And you say it's a scary line; it's very scary it, line. It's a strange one because I think she's writing from the point of view of a serial killer. Yeah, I believe that's what sh- the position she's taken as. Yeah, what it's like. Yeah. It's
1: almost like. Which makes it even scarier. Yeah. Because because, I I, um, I put
2: it out of my mind because I'm out of my mind in heaven and hell with you. It's, it's, I, you know, you can look at these when you're actually in and playing, you get, you feel again, it's that feeling that you get from the tone of the voice, the sound of the words. You can't miss a word like fuck
1: in a lyric and, well, I did for a long time. I did with that song until I until I actually thought I can't hear what what did you say then? I looked it up and I was like, oh, mm. oh, okay. Yeah. In fact,
2: yeah! Kill the kill the others, kill the mothers, wherever it is. Fuck yeah. Kill the others, and it's full of very dark and deviant and places you don't want to go. They're not they're not that hospitable. No. But you get that mood and essence that we will be picked up on it musically, but we didn't have to go into detail. And afterwards, no. you know, here we are like 40, how many years later? Yeah. And I'm finding out things about the lyric. I'm I'm, I'm finding yeah. my own interpretation of it. Right, right. Which tells me that if I'm talking about it when we're writing, if we're, if we're talking about what's it about then, we're kind yeah. of like maybe missing the point. Maybe it's just not necessary. I don't need to know everything.
1: I often think that, uh, you know, and this is true in in the stuff for the queue. I mean, a lot of stuff, a lot of lyrical stuff for pornography. Now I know where a lot of it came from, but I don't think it's necessary to let everybody know that for them to appreciate it or understand it, you know? no. So I can look at songs like Siamese twins and I know pretty much exactly where some of those lines came from because I wrote them and I know where they came from, but you don't need to tell everybody everything for it to be, uh, in, you know, it's kind of like a movie, you know, where, where you have mm. things are hinted at and not necessarily always revealed, you know, until the end. And then you go, Oh, I knew it. I knew that's what was coming along. Same with a good book. The same thing. You know. So. It's like
2: saying was, was Halloween inspired by those films? Yeah. Was Halloween a Hitchcockian thing? Was Halloween mm. To do with All Hallows Eve right. or was it just a great way of getting trick-or-treating to a
1: chorus yeah I like Spellband as well though because I think that you know that that was a, a, a title of a Hitchcock film right that so, was the title of
2: a Hitchcock film yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah that was the one with the Darley yeah in dream it as well. sequence yeah yeah
2: Things we've kind of grown up on, and we all, again, we're all of the same age. I think McGeoch and Severin slightly older than Susie and myself, but only by a couple of years. Yeah. So we'd grown up on a a similar diet of black and white film noir,
1: Hitchcock, Polanski. Repulsion, all those films, yeah. They're all great. So I've got to throw this out out there now. My feeling is that really great albums – are always at the, the, the nexus, the pivotal point of things like that. You know, they, they, they happen to be part of the, the social fabric of what's going on and, and, you know, their place in time. You know, there are some albums that if you release them now, nobody would have ever had bought them. And, and, you know, other albums that uh, uh, succeed now only because of their, their point in in time. I mean, it's a bit convoluted, but I think you get what I mean. Yeah.
2: Well, interestingly, here in uh, in Europe, uh, as I am in Berlin, I was going to say here in England, but I do forget sometimes where I'm. Yeah. I'm actually based <laughs> um, that little island over there, just off over in the North Sea, yeah. the British right. Isles. Um, Netflix has just put Kate Bush back in the top ten. Wow. With um, running up that hill.
1: Yeah. And she's very excited about it is Kate. The uh, Sex Pistol song about the Queen has gone back into the charts or something again. Which is uh, originally very kept,
2: kept off the top of the charts by Ooh, was it now? Was it wasn't Culture Club? Culture Club kept us out, out the top of the charts.
1: Yeah. I was watching I was watching this a series based on Steve Jones' book and I, I was watching it last night, you know, and They've got the first time that uh, you know, "God Save the Queen" was put out, and that, and I just wonder, you know, we're thinking back about that. Think like on that day, you know, because I, I can remember what we did for the the Queen's Silver Jubilee, as it was. I think we played that's the, right, the Silver the, Jubilee. Yeah, we played this festival sort of on this golf course near our town with about twenty people, you know, and it was like on the back of a a truck or something. We played, and uh, I wonder, you know, if we thought back then, okay fast forward 40 years and that song is going to be back in the charts and uh, huge bizarre no so i'm still waiting lol you know i think
2: we we did miss our our not opportunity but you know the, the the charts were fickle then i don't think they yeah. were very um above board all the time i think there was a lot right. of pa- payola going on um, right i think somebody was a bit mean with the payola money on our part yeah. and um I think we were just a little ahead of the time as well. And um, I, I think the, we're still waiting for the world to catch up with uh, yeah. Susie and the Banshees and Juju. Yes. <laughs> well, because uh, I'm catching up. I'm I'm still thinking, this is like, did we do this?
1: I love it when I feel,
2: did I do that?
1: All good albums are always ahead of their time. You know, that's that's the nature of the beast. I mean, it's like... You know, what do they say? A prophet is never recognised in his own land. You know, that's that's what happens. Oh, I remember putting out pornography and people like you know, like, oh no, it's too dismal and oh no, oh no, and then you know, ten years later they love it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Who knows?
2: Anyway, but did did it start a goth the gothic movement? Lul. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, maybe. That's what I'm going to say. I liked
2: your introduction for Juju. I thought, you know, the, the head on the front there, the, this little thing at the front cover yes. of Juju. Yes. It was found in a, a, a museum over in the east of London. It was an well, artifacts museum, African artifacts, I think yeah. probably stolen from some village. Okay, but we found course. it, and it fitted the the kind of scheme of things the yes. art department at Polydor had this line around all the musical notation, collage. Right. A- and we just worked with them, put that together. And it kind of, what like one of those sort of, these serendipity, serendipitous moments where everything comes together and it seems like you've planned it from the word go, but you haven't. It just...
1: No. I think what happens there is is that your artistic at- antenna... Are, are open and you know the universe or whatever is you know this is going to sound very hippy but it's true um is guiding you towards the things that you need whereas before you might have walked straight past them and not seen them and and now because you're you know mm. your chakra or whatever you know your kundalini is risen and and it's open all these things come to you i know that works a lot of the time you know when 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 things are right, stuff just happens and you have no reason no. for where it came from or how. You know? I'd, say, I'd say in
2: closing, from my point of view anywhere, I'd say yeah. that, that this album would be very hard to recreate and very hard to, to do justice to. It would yeah. be very difficult to re- go in and record this album in this way, in the way it was recorded now, Yeah, um, because there's t- there'd be too much in the way. I think, yeah, yeah. It's quite a simple recording.
1: Uh, well, it's simple, but the, that's the beauty of it. You know, the beauty mm. of it is—is is like, hey, going back to night shift. You know, it's just a piece of metal hovering in the air makes a whole song, and it makes you want to go look out. It's yeah, in yeah, the sky. It's hovering in the
2: sky. What's it doing? Yeah. Where's it going? Yeah. Wow! Wow! <laughs> Well, I I can slip back there very easily. It's it's a good good time for me. Uh, But thanks for uh, sharing. Let me share that with you. And um, thanks for getting the questions together. Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer,
1: Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing margie
2: taylor art and logo design justin thomas k music production jackknife lee curious creatures is on the web and you can access us
1: at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com and you can reach us on instagram and facebook at curious creatures official twitter at cure creatures
2: to find more of the best music podcasts visit doubleelvis.com. Or follow at Double Elvis on Instagram
1: or at Double Elvis on Twitter. Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2022.